Hi doll, welcome to episode two. In the last episode, we learned about the backgrounds and childhood of Myra Hindley and Ian Brady. Some argued that Ian and Myra had like troubled upbringings, but really for the time it wasn't that bad. And I mean, like there are children today who are going through much worse childhoods than both of them like combined. And they'll not turn into the monsters that these two are going to turn into today. Because today I am going through the entire murder spree of Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. The details of the crimes I'm about to tell you, like the details didn't come out until like years later, like decades later. But I thought it best to just do the story chronologically. It makes more sense because there's a lot to cover instead of going back and forth all the time, you know. Anyway, let's start. Picking up from where we left off in episode one. On the 12th of July in 1963, Ian told Myra he wanted to commit the perfect murder, if such a thing exists. After they were both finished work, Ian instructed Myra to drive around their borrowed van while he followed in his motorcycle. When he spotted a victim he wanted, he would signal by flashing his headlights. Driving down Gorton Lane, he spotted a young girl. He signalled to Myra, who did not stop because she literally knew this eight-year-old girl. It was in Myra's thinking and rationale that a teenager would be much less missed than an eight-year-old. Ian agreed. Not giving up, sometime after 7.30pm, driving on a different street this time, Ian signalled Myra to stop for 16-year-old Pauline Reed a schoolmate of Myra's sister, Maureen. 16-year-old Pauline was on her way to a dance, wearing a lovely pink and gold dress. She was so excited, I'm sure. Myra pulled over and offered Pauline a lift. Once Pauline was in the van, Myra asked her if she would mind helping her look for a lost glove, a lost expensive glove, in the saddle worth more. Pauline, who, you know, kind of knows Myra, it's like her schoolmate's older sister, she was like, yeah, sure, I'll help. So they drove to the Saddleworth Moor. When Ian arrived at the moors on his motorcycle, Myra told Pauline that he was going to help them search. Myra later claimed that she stayed in the van while Ian took Pauline into the moors. Ian returned alone 30 minutes later. He retrieved Myra and took her to the spot on the moors where Pauline lay dying. Pauline's clothes were in disarray and she had nearly been decapitated with two cuts to her throat. This included a four-inch incision to her voice box, and into this incision was shoved Pauline's coat and necklace. It was like in the cut, in the incision. Like, pushed in. When Myra asked Ian whether he had raped Pauline, Ian replied, of course I did. In Myra's account, she returned to the van while Ian buried Pauline. But in Ian's account, Myra was there for everything. She participated in the attack and the sexual assault. During the police investigation for the presumed missing child, police found no one who had seen Pauline before her disappearance. There wasn't many leads, although she had briefly dated a local boy, with three criminal convictions for minor crimes. 
David Smith, the 15-year-old, was questioned by police, but he was cleared in any involvement in her death. Only four months later, Ian and Myra were ready to strike again. In the early evening of the 23rd of November 1963, Ian and Myra were at a market when they spotted an adolescent boy. They used the same tactic to lure the child that had worked on Pauline. The pair offered 12-year-old John Kilbride a lift home, saying to him that his parents might worry that he was out so late. They said they'd bring him home and give him a bottle of sherry. Mmm. Once John was in Myra's hired car, Ian told him, well, we'll have to make a detour to our house to go get you this sherry. While on this supposed detour, Ian said, oh, we need to make another stop, using the same weird excuse that they needed to go to the Salworth Moors to look for Myra's missing expensive glove. Apparently, when they got there, Ian took John onto the Moors while Myra waited in the car. And just like with Pauline, Ian sexually assaulted the 12-year-old boy. And as well, like Pauline, Ian this time attempted to slit John's throat, although it seems that John put up a struggle. Unfortunately, Ian is bigger than a 12-year-old and was able to strangle him to death, most likely with a shoelace. After John's disappearance, a huge search was undertaken. 500 missing posters were printed and over 700 statements taken. Eight days after John failed to return home, 2,000 volunteers scarred waste ground and derelict buildings. During this time, when Manchester is frantically looking for the missing boy, Myra hired multiple vehicles, driving up to the Merse to make sure the burial sites had not been disrupted. What a bitch. People who say that Myra was manipulated by Ian Brady they're being manipulated. She's going up there of her own accord. Six months later, again after work in the early evening, the 16th of June 1964, 12-year-old Keith Bennett was on his way to his grandmother's house when Myra called him over. Look at this little cutie. Isn't he adorable? He looks like that kid from Jerry Maguire. Myra asked this little cutie if he would help her stack boxes into her van. After Keith had helped her, Myra then offered Keith a lift. Where are you going? And I feel like this is such a good tactic or ploy to get somebody into your vehicle. Like you get them to work for you, then you offer them repayment. And because you did work, you feel like you are deserved reimbursement. So I feel like it's good like psychological trick. So Keith got in the van and little did he know that Ian was already in the back. Myra drove them to Saddleworth Moor. Again while there, Ian took Keith out onto the moors. Again supposedly looking for this glove. What is with this glove? So weird. A glove? About 30 minutes later Ian returned to the van. Again carrying a spade that he had hidden there earlier. When Myra asked Ian, what happened? How did it go? Ian replied that he raped the boy and strangled him with a piece of string. Like with John Kilbride, missing posters were plastered all around Manchester. Here is a picture of Winnie Bennett on the left. She is talking to Sheila Kilbride, John's mother. This photo was taken on June 24th, 1964. 
only eight days after Keith went missing. During Keith's investigation, his poor stepfather became a suspect and police did not let up. Over the next two years, the stepdad was taken in for questioning four times. Detectives searched the house, including under the floorboards. And on discovering that all of the houses were connected, they then searched the entire street. How intrusive and a waste of time. Like, obviously, they think it's the stepdad and you're meant to look at family and friends first. But, oh, God, such a waste of time. Now, we're going to take a quick break from the murders because during this time, Myra's younger sister, Maureen, married David Smith on the 15th of August, 1964. And yes, the same David Smith who was dating Pauline Reed, Myra and Ian's first victim. Coincidence? Actually, yes. Well, they probably all knew each other from Maureen. You know, like they're all in the same year and the same school. Anyway. The marriage was hastily arranged and performed at the town hall register office. None of the Hindleys attended. Myra did not approve of the marriage and her mother was embarrassed as Maureen was seven months pregnant. Dun, dun, dun. And David had several criminal convictions, including actual bodily harm and burglary. Doll, look at that hairdo. Oh my lord. <laughs> It looks like she's smuggling avocados or something. It's so big. (laughs) Oh my God. Soon after the wedding, Ian suggested that the four take a day trip, a double date to Windermere. This was the first time Ian and David had met properly. Ian was quite taken with David, apparently impressed by David's demeanour. The two talked about society, the distribution of wealth and the possibility of robbing a bank. David was similarly impressed by Ian, who throughout the day was splashing the cash and paid for everyone's food and wine. The trip to the Lake District was the first of many outings for the foursome. Myra, she felt this budding relationship between the men compromised their safety. She was jealous and very apprehensive apprehensive about the friendship. But it also seems that like Ian was grooming David to become his new or additional partner in crime. Ian gave David books to read, gave him Nazi homework just like he had Myra. The two often discussed robbery and murder. David was in awe of Ian and Ian liked it. There were also rumours that Ian fancied a bit of Maureen. However, Myra apparently went along with this foursome as she did enjoy the growing relationship she was getting with her sister. Six months after the murder of Keith Bennett, on Boxing Day in 1964, Ian and Myra went to a fun fair. They noticed the 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey was apparently alone. We have another little cutie here. Doesn't she look like Shirley Temple? Look at those cheeks. At the fun fair, Ian and Myra approached the child and deliberately dropped their shopping in front of her. They asked the wee girl if she would help them carry their shopping to the car, which is like sort of the same tactic as they used with John Bennett. From there, their MO kind of changed. They took Leslie Ann to their house. Apparently, Myra's granny wasn't there that night. At the house, Leslie Ann was stripped naked and gagged with a scarf. Then the 10-year-old was forced to pose for photographs 
before being raped and killed. Again, Leslie Ann was strangled, most likely with a piece of string. Later, Myra would claim that she went to fill a bath and by the time she got back, Leslie Ann was dead. Meanwhile, Ian, he later claimed that it was Myra who killed Leslie Ann. The following morning, Ian and Myra drove Leslie Ann's body to Saddleworth Moor and buried her in a shallow grave, naked with her clothes at her feet. Again, there was a huge search for the child, but she was not found. This is a picture of Leslie Ann's mother, Anne, on the 17th of July 1965, searching for clues of her daughter's disappearance at the fun fair. It's always so awful when these things happen around Christmas as well for some reason. It is just so tragic that these women were brought together under such circumstances. In these pictures, Sheila Kilbride, Anne Downey and Winnie Bennett are at Mrs Kilbride's house. And if you look in the top left corner, we can see a lovely framed picture of John on the mantelpiece. It looks like one of those school pictures, like in your uniform. It's just so tragic. Ten months later, on the 6th of October 1965, Myra drove in to Manchester Railway Station. While she stayed in the car, he went in to search for another victim, their fifth victim. Edward Evans was at Manchester Central Station, having been to see Manchester United play Helsinki. He called at the buffet bar for a drink, but it was closed. The 17-year-old caught Ian Brady's eye. Ian recognised Edward from the local pub and invited him back to his house for a drink. Ian took Edward out to this hideous car uh, and introduced Myra as his sister. The three drove to Ian and Myra's. Myra was dropped off at her sister and David's house, who lived only a few streets down. Ian told Myra, bring David over to the house. When David arrived at the house, Ian asked him, Oh, you've came here for the miniature bottles of wine. Whatever that's all about. That, apparently that's what he said. Ian told David to wait in the kitchen while he went to get them for him. A few minutes later, the silence was broken. David heard a horrifying high-pitched scream. The scream carried on and then there was another and then another. Myra screamed from the living room. Dave, help him. David ran to the living room where he seen a young man, Edward. Edward was half off the couch. His legs were on the floor while his head and shoulders were still being propped up on the sofa. Ian was standing over Edward, his legs on either side of the boy. Ian was holding an axe in his hand. He lifted it up high and swung down. The axe struck the side of Edward's head. It made a horrifying sound, a sound that would torment David Smith for the rest of his life. This would be a horrible end, but it didn't end here. Edward was still alive and was trying to escape. So Ian, in like a brawling struggle, strangled Edward Evans to death with an electrical cable. Oh, oh it's just like so horrific. Like what, what an awful way to go. Can you imagine your last few moments on earth are in such pain and such horror and fear like nobody deserves to go out that way well maybe Ian Brady does so during this 
brawling struggle, Ian like hurt his ankle, he like sprained it or something, and so wasn't able to dispose of Edward Evans' body. So Myra and David had to help. Later, David said he did what he had to do to survive. And I feel that like if any of us were in that situation, we would do the same out of fear. What if they kill you? They know where you live. They know your wife. Like, you just got to get out of there just as smoothly as possible. But Edward is a big 17-year-old boy. He's not a little child. Well, he is a child, but he's not a little, you know. So David couldn't carry him either. So the three of them wrapped up poor Edward in a plastic sheet and carried him into the upstairs spare bedroom. Then the three of them made quite a detailed plan. David would return tomorrow morning and help transport the body to the car and then to the moors using David's baby pram. It's so fucking twisted. You're using your child's pram to even like have that notion. So at about 3am, David goes home and he tells Maureen he needs a cup of tea. David is a nervous wreck. He drinks the tea and immediately throws up. He breaks down and tells his wife what he had just witnessed. Maureen and David agree they need to tell the police. About three hours later, David arms himself with a screwdriver and a bread knife. He goes to the phone box at the end of the housing estate and he calls the police, telling them what he had just witnessed. The police told him, stay there. They came for him, picked him up from the phone box and took him to the police station. David told them everything I just told you. A few hours later, the superintendent police officer then went to Myra and Ian's house, dressed as a bread delivery man. At first I thought, like, how random, like, going as, like, a bread man but then I thought it's like obviously it's so that Myra will open the door to him like she she may not open the door to the police but she'll open it to a bread man and identify herself as Myra also the police were worried that if Ian and Myra could see they were police that Ian and Myra would go get their guns anyway eventually the bread man identified himself as a policeman and Myra had to let him in. Ian and Myra acted dumbfounded and tried to hinder the police as they searched the house. But of course, once the spare room was opened, police found Edward Evans wrapped in a sheet of plastic. Ian Brady was arrested. As Ian got dressed to go to the police station, he told officers that, you see, he and Edward just like got into a fight and the row got out of hand. As if. That is any kind of excuse for murder. Oh, just like a drunken fight got out of hand. So it doesn't count. Because it wasn't, it was accidental. It was not intentional. It was just a fight that went too far. Just, that's it. I know he's dead. But I was having a fight. No, yeah, Myra was not arrested. But obviously, like what David witnessed was in striking the blow and doing the strangling. Technically, David really didn't see Myra do anything. And David doesn't know about the other murders. Nobody does, but we do. Myra demanded to go to the police station with Ian, but point blank refused to make any kind of statement about Edward Evans' death 
only saying that it was a tragic accident. With nothing on her, police just let Myra go. Now, you would think that this is when Myra would take this opportunity to run. But she didn't. She, like, hung around Manchester for the next four days. She asked her boss to fire her so that she could start claiming the dole. Like, she thinks she's going to be around to claim the dole. Doll, they will be coming for you. And yet, at the house, Myra was destroying and getting rid of evidence. Police were able to eventually find half-burnt-up bank robbery plans. Man, why couldn't they have just done that? If they had robbed a bank, it would have been so much kinder to society. Like, finally, on the 11th of October, Myra was arrested and charged as an accessory to Edward Evans' murder. And that is where we will end part two. In the next episode, I will be going over the investigation, the search of the Moors, and the trial. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't miss it. Episode 3, coming real soon. (laughs) And if you have a second, check out the Patreon. There is now a £1 tier if you want to help me and the channel grow. Go on, you know you want to. Slan!